I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 49, Claudia and the Genius of Elm Street. Do you guys think they chose Elm Street because of Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, yeah, it sort of sounds like it's going to be a horror, a a mystery book. (laughs) Yeah. It tricked me. Especially because we know how much Claudia hates geniuses. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Genius has a different connotation when put near Claudia's name Mm -hmm. than it does for other people. I agree. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I myself stole from the title of this book, probably without knowing about Nightmare on Elm Street very much. In one of my, we talked about how Anne won Project Picture Book for Ernie the Oddball, her book about the worm. The outcast worm. Yeah, the outcast worm. Yeah. I wrote a book that is like clearly a plagiarism pastiche of Babysitter's Club books called My Babysitting Disaster at 1162 Elm Street that I just found a couple weeks ago. It's like a Barrett's Rodowski's mashup and apparently also stole from the title of this book. Wow. That's a lot of plagiarism for one book. It is not good. (laughs) It's not good? Wow. (laughs) Really? Wow. (laughs) You know, I said it wasn't good first, but it still hurts you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't read it. I'm just being a dick. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Should we do our one sentence summaries? Sure. (laughs) Take us out of of my personal hell. (laughs) Okay. Mine is Claudia is intimidated by a seven-year-old who hates all the other babysitters. (laughs) (laughs) That's very good. Mine is Anna Martin explores the problem of the hurried child in yet another book that requires a member of the BSE to encourage a kid to stand up to their parents. Mine is the babysitters are unnecessarily very annoyed by a seven-year-old who is obviously unhappy about her overbearing stage parents. (laughs) I know. I'm like, you guys are so mean. Come on. (laughs) She's seven. They like hate her immediately. Seven is very young. (laughs) Exactly. And also this girl speaks like she's at least, at least 23. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like 12. No, no, no. But like at the end of the book, when she's giving her whole spiel, I was like, wow, you're very mature for a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? What's her name? Yeah. Rosie? Rosie. Rosie Wilder. Well, Rosie is her nickname, right? Her name is Mary Rose. Yes, Mary Rose. Rosie's her stage name. Mm-hmm. Honestly. <laughs> okay, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. Making us wait for it today. <laughs> well, I was muted and I couldn't find uh, my mouse. <laughs> and I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm a kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I almost said I'm a total individual and I like health food. I got so distracted by you not knowing where your mute button was. What? (laughs) Uh, If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, please rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. You can drop us a rating on Spotify or write a review on Apple Podcasts. Been a little while since we got a new review. I'd love to see one. Um, If you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. We have another new patron to thank, Alicia B. A pizza toast to Alicia. Thank you, Alicia. Thanks. So speaking of our patrons, it has been a minute since we have done a BSC Big Five. So for those of you that randomly dropped into the middle of this podcast because you really like Claudia and the genius of Elm Street, um, BSC Big (laughs) Five is our personalized, very unscientific BSC personality test where we tell people what percent of each babysitter they are. And if you are a patron, we will prioritize your BSC Big Five. So here is Brandy's. Patrine. 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 It's French, right, Emily? Uh huh. I won't do a bad French accent. So, oh. okay. Aww. Won't you? Won't you? Uh huh. Patrine. Very good. Okay. Yeah. 
Don't cancel me. Brandy, this is what Brandy has to say. She says, I always thought I was a Don with Claudia rising. I'm super liberal, outspoken, and I am fairly unapologetically myself. My shared Claudia traits are that I'm creative, but I can't draw or paint for shit. (laughs) I also would never have the nerve to dress like Claudia. I like her style on paper, but it isn't mine. I love interior design and color and enjoy art as a subject. And I am a singer. So music is a huge part of my life. And listening to you talk about Claudia probably having ADHD made me teary because I'm a 43-year-old with a missed ADHD diagnosis. And just listening to you talk about the mechanics of it hit close home to me. However, I'm a wonderful speller. So I guess my goal in sending this email and getting some professional insight from the Stuck in Stony Brook podcast panel <laughs> is to solve this Don versus Claudia thing once and for all. Professional. You came to the right place, Brandy. Yes. Yes, this is very Esme, official. Esme, do you, are you taking notes and have your like psychology formula thing out? Mm, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. First, my relationship to school is not good, but I love what I love. My liberal art subjects were it for me. Music, humanities, social studies, foreign language. I am horrible at math, just abysmal. It puts me in a fetal position. My study habits are bad. I did well in subjects I love, but not the rest. I lack self-discipline, procrastination, sometimes not even doing my work. I got the, but you're so smart lecture from all my teachers. I did not do well in college for the same reasons and didn't finish. I do love to read what I want to read though. Very Claudia vibes. That's pretty much, pretty much Claudia. Okay. I don't like leadership positions per se. I don't want the huge responsibility, just some responsibility. I like that. I like to contribute my ideas. I like to be heard. I have no problem giving input and I like the creative side of things. I have no problem speaking up for what I believe in and what I think is right. Though, unlike Don, I try to do so with more grace. I think that comes with age though. I will lead in those regards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, here we go on to her style. In high school, I shopped at The Gap. Who didn't? I also shopped at Pasta and the Limited. I was safe, kind of a sloppy prep. I like my flannels untucked and sometimes open with t-shirts. I wore t-shirt tails, hanging out of sweaters, hiking boots, loafers that I actually put pennies in, Eastland shoes. I would dress up now and then. Skirts and tights with Mary Janes, never heels, but usually added a jean jacket. Simple jewelry, 90s hopes, a leather watch, maybe a necklace at times. Today, I wear a lot of graphic tees and cardigans with jeans. I am obsessed with prints, so I wear prints shirts underneath a lot of days. Wait, sorry. So I wear prints t-shirts underneath a lot of days. I love sweatpants and leggings with hoodies, which I wear with Doc Martens. T-shirts and jeans in the summer, Birkenstocks. I have several tattoos on my arms, all prints related, except a small George Michael tribute. Mm. Nice. It's a good combo. This mm-hmm. is a really interesting, like, kind of varied style, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, in terms the of school. the babysitters. Yeah. In terms of the babysitters. Yeah. The high school sounds pretty standard 90s to me, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. On to the good stuff. I got my period at 12 and a half. I had a uterine ablation at 41. I don't know if Anne would find that relevant or not. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, does it, does, you know, an ablation stops your periods, Anne. So does that, is that relevant that now that now she's done? No, I don't know what that means in terms of like Babysitter's Club universe. Yeah. <laughs> We've only huh. talked about when people get them, not when they stop. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. Okay. Okay, relationships. Very much a live and let live with other people's romantic relationship choices, but I am a serial monogamist. I've been with my current husband for almost 18 years. Okay. Her interests include music, interiors, architecture, history, pop culture, and... I feel like those are very Don interests. Architecture, history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but music, pop culture. Yeah, I mean, like none of them really are particularly. Okay. I okay. mean, I'm getting a lot like of Claudia. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a lot of Claudia. I mean, she's not wrong that she's strong, Claudia and Don, right? She just wants the like very scientific proportions from us. Mm-hmm. I'm also getting some Marianne with the monogamy and with the kind of quiet leadership, right? Like mm. that's that's a Marianne thing, like influencing in in her your own way. Well, her uterine ablation. Mm-hmm. So could we? I know that isn't menopause, but no. we could predict which babysitter goes into menopause first and attribute <laughs> that to that babysitter. What? How would we predict that? 
I don't know. How do we predict anything in this stupid podcast? (laughs) (laughs) We're already doing this this BSC Big Five. Why don't we just go for it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think that uh, Stacey's going to hit menopause first. Mm, Interesting. Because she's advanced and mature. Because she's sophisticated. Her ovaries are also sophisticated. So they're going to burn out fast. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Is that actually a thing that people who get their periods earlier go into menopause earlier? They're not not correlated, right? I don't think so. But but we don't have any real reasons (laughs) to choose any of them. I just threw something out there. Okay, Okay, we're getting away from poor Brandy. What Um, percent? Okay, so no, but I also think that leadership style is is very Stacy. Yes, but I'm not getting a lot of other Stacy. Terrible, except except for for the uterine ablation. Okay. Just a second ago, you were fighting me about this, and now you're on board. Okay, terrible at math, not interested in fashion, serial monogamist. I don't know. Well, let's start with Claudia. I think she's a good, like, she's like a 65% Claudia, I feel. Is that too high? No, I was thinking higher. Yeah, I was thinking like 70. Mm. What do you think, Em? Yeah, I think that that would work. Okay. 70% Claudia. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I'm actually not seeing a ton of Dawn from her later description. Like I get why she, like from her kind of prelude, I see some Dawn. But from our sort of ESA Big Five required categories, I guess it's just the speaking up for what is right piece. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the average period for somebody born in the 70s. Well, we could give like 26%. No, wait. That's more than a hundred. No, we said it's always more than a hundred. Oh, there are, right, they're not, right. they're orthogonal. We're good. Okay, let's do how, let's do like ninety percent Stacy then for the menopause thing. <laughs> oh my god, man! <laughs> okay, uh, how much Dawn do you think she is our resident Dawn? I mean, I get a lot of Dawn in the fashion category too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that could be called California casual. Yeah, for sure. You know, Don, a.k.a. me, has tattoos. <laughs> nah. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. Yeah, I, I do think in general that leadership style is very much Don, right? Like she, yeah. when she finds herself suddenly in charge of something, she's like, ah, well, I, I guess I will, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. it's not my ideal right. distribution of power. She wasn't gunning like, for it, but she can yeah. step up and do it. So yeah. like 55? Is that too high? Too close I think 55. To I think 55 works. Okay. Yeah, because I'm getting very low of everybody else. Yeah. Do you do you agree there's some Marianne there, though? She's a serial monogamist. Bit, but not much. Like, that's yeah. kind of it. Yeah. But I okay. feel like your, your like, so, relationship style is a big part of your, like, yeah. self, right? So what percent Marianne do you think? What, do you, what percent Marianne do you think, Annie? Like 40? Mm, more than, that would be more than, no. I would say 35. 35. Okay. All right. And then not getting a lot of Christy, except that she said safe and sloppy as she described her dressing, which I feel like is mm-hmm. sort of christy but that's about it. Yeah. So like 2% Christy? I actually feel like her style is more, kind of more Dawn. Yeah. Okay. So Christmas. zero Christy? Mm, let me see. Yeah, don't, yeah. I'm not getting yeah, really. Not really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because of the uterine ablation, we were, and... 90% interesting yeah. in uh, pop culture and music. What actual percent, Stacey? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we also doing Jesse and Mallory? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Stacey, I think... Like 12? Okay, okay I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> okay, so I feel like singer is not that far from dancer. I clearly very invested in music, you know, feels music deeply. Mm-hmm. In the way that I think Jess, so I think more Jesse than Mal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I would agree. More Jesse than Stacy, mm-hmm. or the same. The same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then we don't actually do we have any Mal here at all? I don't think so. It's maybe zero Mal, zero Christy. Yeah, I'm not getting any. I'm not getting Mal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you guys remember any of those numbers? Nope. Lucky for you, I wrote them down, Brandy. <laughs> All right. So 70% Claudia, 55% Dawn, 35% Marianne, 12 Stacy and Jesse, and zero Christy and Mal. Nice. That is extremely accurate. Beautiful. 
It is official and professional. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for playing, Brandy. <laughs> uh, should we get back to this book? Yes. Let's get what back book? to this genius on Album Street. <laughs> oh, yeah. This horror story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked this book. Did you guys like this book? I did. Yeah. yeah. I think I thought- Claudia has a good voice in general. And mm-hmm. she's and she's more entertaining to read than other babysitters, I feel. Yes. Yeah. This is a Peter Larangis. Actually, I'm not sure that's how you pronounce his name. I looked it up and now I can't remember. I think it is Larangis. Um, ghost re- re- writer. And I think he did a nice job. I think it reads like mm-hmm. an Anna Martin book. I think so too. Yeah. Nice. So basically, this is one of those books where the whole thing is about a new babysitting client. So Ginger Wilder calls the club. She's another person that has like a cartoon rich person voice. And her mother is sick and she has to take turns with her sister taking care of her mother. And so she needs somebody to watch Rosie in the afternoons three days a week and to help coordinate Rosie's schedule. And Claudia gets the job. And that's, there's, there's not really a, is there even a B plot in this book? It's just like, oh, well, Claudia puts on an art show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Junk food fantasy. Yes. Renamed. Oh, uh, digestible. What was it? Uh, Wrong. No. Emily? I forget. (laughs) Disposable comestibles. That's right. Janine, Janine thought of it. Yeah. Or inadvertently thought of it. It is very good. Yeah. I thought it was like junk food fantasy. Is that like a nod Mm -hmm. to like double fantasy? Because she's Japanese. Oh. Mm. I don't know. Probably not, but. I think not. (laughs) It's a deep cut. (laughs) All right. right. Anyway, so, oh, sorry. So, you know, Rosie has a lot of talents. Yes. uh, Including dancing, playing the Mm -hmm. piano, doing crossword puzzles yeah is our competitive crossword puzzles a thing i was hoping you would look into this for your second no idea but you, you didn't did you no i didn't i did not uh, what else okay, is she good uh well so basically the plot is her parents are obviously pushing her to become some sort of like child like celebrity they put her on talent shows and commercials and stuff and she's very difficult and none of the all the babysitters hate her like immediately. Immediately. I was like, you guys are bad babysitters. Then at the end, it turns out that Rosie doesn't really like any of the, any of the, her talents that she has. And she just wants to really be an artist like Claudia. Yeah, that's very and, accurate. And like be a kid. <laughs> yes. You guys, the uh, 44th annual American Crossword Puzzle Tournament will be held next weekend in person, April 1st through 3rd at, you'll never guess, the Stamford, Connecticut Marriott. Should we go? <laughs> <laughs> it takes place in Stamford. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. It's pretty good. I'm kind is of it, excited. Is it about called that. the the Rosie Wilder Crossword Nationals Crossword Puzzle Competition? Yeah. It is was it born the her? year. It was born the year we were born, and <laughs> wow! And it's been happening in Stamford. It's very exciting. Is it exciting? I think so. I like when things in, that happen in the Babysitter's Club actually happen in Connecticut. Like when Emily talked about that strike at the gun factory a couple episodes ago. <laughs> like it's kind of nice when it's actually like the real world lines up with the fictional world. Anyway. Dawn and the strike at the gun factory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but what I meant was, is the actual competition exciting? I would find it exciting, I think, but probably you less so. I mean, but you just, you just, you're watching people with their heads down. No, I I hope that they do it like they did in the book where they draw them on like chalkboards or something. Chalkboards. (laughs) That's what they did at Stony Brook Elementary, (laughs) which I thought was crazy that Stony Brook Elementary had a competition for crossword puzzles. It's very strange. Anyway. So yeah, that's the basic plot of this book. What jumped out to you, Emily? (laughs) And Rosie wins as a third grader the whole school-wide competition, which includes fourth graders and fifth graders. Yeah. That is true. So she is like real impressive, you know? Uh She's a genius. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about the book. There's like, obviously the stage parent phenomena is like a, can be, not inherently, but can be a like 
sexist capitalist nightmare. <laughs> you know, I mean, we have like the reality TV dance mom, like mm-hmm. people consuming this like rampant, disgusting exploitation of children along these like sexist scripts, right? Th- these young girls are being groomed to be like sex objects when they're <laughs> children. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty gross. And I think, right, like the, I think in this book, we don't see much of that, the gender specificity of that phenomena, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it's well documented in our our culture, how um, kind of brutal the pre- the media and the public are to young girls who, you know, mature in the public eye, how financially exploited they often are by their parents, right? How overworked they are, how, you know, muddy questions around how much kids can actually consent to a full-time career in performing. Um, you know, and I think with all, also with like the recent attention around like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan's conservatorships, right? That all these complicated questions about agency and like, um, you know, what a toll it exacts on young women specifically to be young people subject to such intense and constant public scrutiny and, you know, all the, all the kind of money at stake there, Mm -hmm. you know, how many people kind of benefit from that. You know, it's interesting. I was teaching uh, about disability law and conservatorship in my women in the law class last semester because my students were really interested in in it, obviously, because of all the media attention to Britney Spears' case specifically. And I, there's not data that is kept um, really central, centrally about conservatorships in the United States. But I read an estimate that anywhere between like 1.2 and 1.4 million people at any given time in the U.S. are under conservatorships yeah. and, that, and that there are like billions of dollars in assets controlled in conservatorship, which like leads me to believe that it's much more of a phenomena of like financial exploitation than it is actual concern for people's like ability to yeah. <laughs> make decisions for themselves. And the amount of rights you have when you're under conservatorship is like less than prisoners. I mean, you have yeah. no right to make choices about your reproductive <laughs> right um, yeah. outcomes. And it's interesting that like this is a phenomenon that we're now seeing as a kind of band-aid to that problem in like the late 90s, early aughts of like how the public treated specifically mm-hmm. like young women, mm-hmm. like performers and actors in, in the public eye. And I think they're, you know, I mean, hopefully Rosie's parents uh, hear their seven-year-old <laughs> saying, hi, I'd like to be more of a kid. And like, she doesn't go down that path. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's like pretty, they, they treat her like a, I don't know, like simultaneously like a doll, like something, someone who's way mm-hmm. older than seven and also like had that weird kind of competitive like tilts or lilts to everything, every kind of like mm-hmm. conversational interaction they have with these 13 year old and 11 year old babysitters. They always put the best act on last. Right. On Uncle Dandy's star machine. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, it's a little icky. I mean, I think hopefully... Uh, hopefully Rosie's outcomes will are not so grim and that she will not yeah. suffer a public mental breakdown and be placed under conservatorship, especially well, in the state of California, where yeah, the laws are the worst. It seems like you're saying that they should conserve her now while she's still of minority age so that, that they can protect her from that outcome. Mm, yeah, they should t- control her now forever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, but it is... Yeah. It, the reason why I read a really in-depth article about Britney Spears' case and the reason why the rules in California in particular are so rough is because of the like Hollywood starlet mm-hmm. phenomena that there were all oh, yeah. these young women who were generating, you know, tons and tons of revenue. And there's like all these creepy old men who are like, how can I get control of this young woman's financial finances? And the law is just, it's so, they're so hard to dissolve <laughs> once they've... Yeah. Even if you have the permission of the conservator, even yeah. if the conservator, um, what do you call it, instigates the the dissolution mm-hmm. of it, they still take sometimes like five to 10 years to dissolve. Wow. Isn't that crazy? crazy? Yeah. But I just think it's interesting that it's a, it's a legal structure that grew out of the, the phenomena of young women actors becoming really successful and really, really yeah. famous. I think you're totally right that it, it's, 
there's a bigger financial piece. And this is very far afield from Rosie Wilder. So feel free to cut this later if you want. But I think having been in the position where, you know, recommending and trying to get conservatorship for a very, very ill 18 or 19 year old who doesn't have any money, trying Mm -hmm. to just get medical conservatorship so that they can stop killing themselves temporarily feels almost impossible, actually, in California. Well, right. So it's, and I know it's not, and I know people do it, and I'm not, I, let me be very clear to our listeners, I'm not advocating most of the time for mental health conservatorship, I think, but there are some cases that I can think of two in my whole career where I really wish that the parent could have gotten a conservatorship, and I think it could have saved a life in one of those cases. And they could not, even though there was very clear, adequate evidence. But it seems like, you know, Brittany gets 5150 one time and suddenly they're able to get both a medical and a financial conservatorship. And it's like, for like 20 years. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I think, is I think like, those are two sides of the same yeah. fucked up phenomena, right? Um, that like yeah. its clear intended purpose is to control the assets of, a, a, and it's often young women, right? Who are already suspect, right? Mm-hmm. We already don't trust their mm-hmm. um, choices and, you know, criticize them accor- to according to a completely different rubric than the way that we treat young men in the public eye. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's actually like a really interesting kind of counterpoint to the, the discourse around the phenomena and like how, how it, how it has its roots in this, um, you know, long, long history of sexualizing Mm -hmm. young Mm -hmm. girls and then, and then punishing them for like not making good decisions with their Mm -hmm. wealth. (laughs) Yeah. By acting stripping like, them completely like old. Yeah. of any agency. Yeah. Yeah. Aye, aye. yeah. So I was just thinking about dance moms and like that, that history of like um, that particular kind of yeah gendered exploitation when I was reading the book and, and glad uh, and hoping for Rosie's sake that her parents are more chill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about how, like how this probably spiraled over time. Like how Rosie probably like showed some, aptitude for maybe for dancing or they could tell that she was really you know she read early or something and then the parents just kind of like pounced on each thing and it sort of snowballed from there you know giving them the benefit of the doubt giving the the idea that they weren't sort of like licking their lips when she was in utero thinking of what they were going to turn her into um and how it can be easy to get sucked into these things and then all of a sudden she's like super what what in the 80s we often called overprogrammed so i looked into this kind of from there's a few different psychology things going on, but this is a this is a constant public conversation about children over the last 40 years. And so I went in the New York Times archives and I found an article from an, an op-ed from 1979 called Freeing Children from the Cult of Activity, talking about these stressed out elementary and middle school students who had too many sports and too many extracurriculars. And that was, you know, over 40 years ago. It's certainly mm-hmm. worse now than it was then. There was a similar article in 1992 and... Just last May, less than a year ago, there was an article in Parents Magazine uh, with the title of Is the Era of Overscheduled Kids Gone for Good? Talking about like what people had learned from the coronavirus lockdown and parents Mm. sort of pledging to give their kids more free time. Interestingly, I didn't, the kind of hallmark book on this subject is called The Hurried Child. It was written by psychologist David Elkind in 1981. Um, and it was sort of a clarion call. It was like a pop psychology book for parents and educators about the importance of play and the importance of unstructured time and the importance of boredom and the idea that um, kids need that. And if you're shuttling them to, you know, 10 activities a week, then they don't have time to be kids. They don't develop emotion regulation in the same way. They don't. And then um, some of these articles in the Times also emphasized other um, sort of assumptions kids can make. So one kid they interviewed thought his parents didn't like him. And so they were scheduling him into activities so that they could spend less time with him. Um, That's fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, he was like eight or nine. Yeah. So, you know, Elkind really emphasized that we need to kind of pay attention to this. And he sort of used a rubric of, you know, one creative activity, one social activity, and one sports activity. And kids shouldn't have more than that. But that was not based in data or anything. That was just his like colloquial recommendation based on clinical interactions with family and things like that. 
But I do think that this is that like a reasonable. favorite. <laughs> yeah, it seems reasonable to me too. I think it's a, this is a favorite sort of boogeyman though to blame the current generation of parents for problems in their children. And I think we've been doing it. I, I even found some articles from the 40s and 50s about this. So I think mm. that this is like a constant, like we're always worried that kids are either over-programmed or over-scheduled or... So this was like very much a like idea in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. um, coming out of the like hard-driving 80s when Anna Martin and Peter Loran just conceived of this book in 1991. So it, it seemed really relevant to the time, but it's interesting that it's also still still super relevant and still a public conversation we're having. I went to the literature and I couldn't, I tried a lot of different keywords and I couldn't find much, I couldn't find any actual like data. Like how many extracurriculars is okay for a kid or like how much, like there's stuff on the importance of play and the benefits of play, but there's not sort of like horse race studies or quasi experimental designs on like kids who have X number of hours of play versus kids who only have Y -hmm. number of hours of play. Like I really couldn't find that. So it seems to be more this public discourse conversation and a little bit of common sense Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, we have real data on where this is. If a listener knows better data, help me, but I, I tried a few different keyword searches and couldn't really find anything. That's interesting. I feel like when we were kids, my sister and I both really wanted to do a lot of different things, but we got bored of things very quickly. And so the struggle, I think my dad had this problem more than my mom was that he would get frustrated when we would like be really stoked on something. And then, you know, after Mm. a season or a year be like, I don't want to continue with this activity. Mm. And he, I think for him, it was like a commitment thing. Like mm-hmm. when you've, you know, like we, he would have never let one of us quit something in like in the middle of a season unless mm-hmm. like we were being harmed. Right. right. <laughs> but yeah. there, he, he was the one though, who did insist on one activity that was not one that we chose. And he insisted that we do it all the way from the time we were children until we left for college, which was martial arts. Yeah. <laughs> the, the rule was, if you think you're going to go live in a city someday by yourself, you need to be, be a black belt. You need yeah. to be able to, to kick someone's ass. We Neither one of us made it to black belt, but we did it the whole time. And you know, uh, I could probably kick someone's ass. Yeah. How high did you go? And did you or Aaron go farther? I think we both made it to half purple, which is between purple and blue. Right. And blue is one below brown, which is one below black. Okay. Not bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think um, this is my, not that I need more plugs for Girl Scouts, but my plug for Girl Scouts is that it's a lot of different activities in one. So mm-hmm. that what I like about it is that it doesn't require specialization because there's some mm-hmm. data on like earlier and earlier specialization. Like that's a problem that we have now, right? Is that kids are supposed to find the thing that they're gifted at by the time they're like seven and you start paying for like crazy camps and things like that. Emily and Anne are both making disgust faces and shaking their heads. And so the thing that I, and I'm, there are other organizations like this as well. I'm just most familiar with Girl Scouts is it's like try new things. And so it also works for the like you get bored of it thing because you can do lots of different things and explore lots of different things. My question is, why does anyone have to do anything? (laughs) Well, there's that too. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can see that Rosie's happiest in her unstructured time drawing junk food with Claudia. So the, the other concept that this book hints at is the idea of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And are you, are you both familiar with those terms? Like, as terms, but I don't know how they modify motivation specifically. Mm-hmm. So the idea of intrinsic motivation being something that you just want to do because it's satisfying to you. So, mm. you know, whether or not anybody ever looked at her art, probably Claudia is going to want to draw because she loves the process. She loves figuring it out. She likes seeing the final product for herself, right? And mm. it's something that you're extrinsically motivated for is like, you know, getting a paycheck when Anne gets paid to edit something or write a piece for somebody. Um, maybe it's a topic that she's not personally passionate about, but she's doing it to to get the paycheck, right? So mm-hmm. extrinsic, something that motivation that's coming externally to you and intrinsic, something that's purely because it's satisfying to you. So there's still reinforcement there. You happen to find that satisfying, but it's not coming from anywhere outside. There's been a lot of debate in the literature. Wait, sorry, go ahead, Anne. Oh, no, I was just thinking if like anyone even has time to do intrinsic things. <laughs> I mean, I feel like honestly, I'm, I'm so as an adult, I'm so motivated by money just because I need money to exist. And I, I am in the 
I mean, we're all in the lucky position of doing something for a career that we all just personally like anyway. Mm-hmm. So, sure. I mean, that's great. And I'm lucky I get to do that. But it's, I don't really have time to be like, I'm going to make a quilt because this makes me happy, which is something I would like to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I literally, ask. <laughs> it, I would like to make a quilt. Hmm. But I think it's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't have the like time to do that really. I'd rather just like watch TV. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you could make a quilt. <laughs> you would just have to watch less television. No. What if you make a quilt while you're watching television? Ding, ding, ding. I could do that. Like a I, square a week? <laughs> a square <laughs> a week. Yeah, it'll take you like five years. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like my lifetime, my life's achievement. <laughs> no, no, you put it, you, as you're making it, it becomes the blanket you use to watch yeah. TV. <laughs> yeah. So you're just like making it while it's all covering you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah really good. I'm into that yeah it's just like it's just this like it really pleases me it's just like a slim a narrow rectangle just enough to like cover no you know what I'm body. picturing I'm picturing that I scene where someone's knitting something Nancy. that's like this Nancy's knitting yeah. something that's like the size of an eighth of a scarf and then yeah. in in one shot and someone comes and asks her a question and then in the next shot another person's asking her the same question and she's knitting like a blanket like that's a entirely blanket. covering her whole body <laughs> such a dumb guy it's so good nobody gets hurt nobody gets hurt it's perfect <laughs> Oh my god! I'm just um, picturing Anne under a blanket that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, not far-fetched, Emily. That's it your, really that's isn't. That's intrinsic motivation project. Yeah. Man. Well, I think that's why you know. I don't know. I think I have intrinsic motivation for this podcast, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And and also like cooking things, but I can't <laughs> like find a lot of other things in my life too. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, I like to garden. See, there that's, you go something that some people don't like to do, but I find satisfying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The thing that's interesting in the literature that there's been studies on both sides of is that this idea that once something, you can take a thing that someone is intrinsically motivated for and you can ruin it by providing extrinsic motivators. So, Mm. and this is the theory that Claudia is sort of advancing of why Rosie's keeping her art to herself. Secret, yeah. Because she doesn't want her parents to like monetize, competitive it, you know, make it into something that is not her like personal Mm -hmm. thing. Did you say Um, that word again? Competitive, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was making it up. I just was thinking it might work. You know what I mean? Turn it into something. Because it doesn't seem like they're making a lot of money on Rosie at this point, but maybe some. Well, she has a college fund from her commercial. Right, from the commercial, Mm -hmm. right? The gremlins cleaning the carpet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and there is some data showing that if you give kids extrinsic motivators for things that they're motivated toward, they become less motivated toward them. But there's also some data showing that that's not the case. So it's one of the big Mm. debates in the motivation literature. Hmm. And there's certain circumstances under which that you you can ruin things with extrinsic motivators and certain circumstances under which you can't. Isn't this what we all did with our careers? Yeah. (laughs) We We monetized our interests and now we're like... Uh, uh huh. yeah. I just want to sit under a quilt, half-made quilt and no. watch television. No, yeah. now we're like, wait, they don't pay me enough for this, so I don't like it right. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, somehow I feel like even if we made a lot more money, I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, we won't see. That's the sad thing. But, you know, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, those are the things that jumped out to me. And I think she probably is overscheduled. And then, of course, I just love, you know, the... Claudia didn't give the Wilders a big lecture, though, a la like Mallory or Dawn. Mm-hmm. She just encouraged Rosie to speak up on her own behalf, which I thought was an interesting choice. Partly has to do with Rosie being parentified, but partly I wondered if it was also Claudia feeling like, well, these are really smart people and they're not going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, of her own insecurity. I just feel like seven is so young. So young. I just think like a year before that, you're like in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, she skipped yeah. a grade, right? Like Charlotte Johansson, because she's. The I third guess she grader. is kind of a B for a seven-year-old. She doesn't say hello to anyone. Yeah, that's true. Because she's probably clinically depressed, you guys. Okay. <laughs> but, 
You can still say hi to her babysitter. Wow. <laughs> at, least she's, at least she's good at stuff. She should be thankful. Yeah. She has all these talents. Yes. Yeah. If you're good at things, you're not allowed to be depressed, listeners. Yeah. 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 Like, think about all the people who suck at everything. I know. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All right. Uh, we also had a little bit more evidence that Claudia has ADHD in this book. She had a couple mm-hmm. pretty funny lines about when she's describing the jobs of everybody. And she said uh, about Marianne, if I had her job, the club would fall apart, would fold in a week um, because she couldn't keep track of all the different appointments. And she Mm -hmm. said something similar about Stacy being treasurer, which I just thought Mm -hmm. was kind of cute. All right, Anne, you're going to talk to us about Uncle Dandy's star machine. You're going to talk to us about gremlins cleaning carpets. Well, I did. I did. Why Uh, does any parent let their child go to Uncle Dandy? (laughs) I don't know. The description of him was terrifying. Yeah. Also, <laughs> uncle, no, no uncle at all should be in the title of any show. Like <laughs> uncle, what, it's about just children. Yeah. yeah. About children. No. It's just, no, it's, it just sounds very predatory and awful. It's not good. What was, I've just pictured like a Captain Mitch character. And I feel like the, these I, like regional celebrities were really big in the 70s, 80s, and 90s of like the like the local television circuit, like mm-hmm. old man who was like the beloved local celebrity. Ours in Sacramento was Uncle, not Uncle Mitch, Captain Mitch. Mm-hmm. He was a salty dog type character. Yeah, exactly. So at least creepy. he was a captain and not an uncle. Less creepy. <laughs> also, did his name have to be Dandy? Could it <laughs> have been something more yeah. respectful sounding? Yeah. Uncle Richard, perhaps. Uh, no, sorry. That'd be <laughs> <laughs> not Richard, because that'd be Uncle Dick. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So, what did you talk about? What, what, well, did you, what did you research for us? I mean, there was a lot of candy because of her art show. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just wondering what would if you guys had to paint something. I know Esme has painted things before. I'm not so sure about Emily. If you had to paint something that was, let's say, junk food, what would you choose? And what would you call it? I might paint, I don't know. The only junk food I've been eating lately are high chews. <laughs> but I eat like a lot of them. <laughs> you could do high chew. You yeah, could just, you say, just, you just have to think of a, like a pack name. a week. A week? Yeah. Not like and at that's once? Not a, that's not a lot. <laughs> and like a week, amateur. <laughs> That's like an hour for me working. I just eat those. <laughs> I would like to do something colorful, like like, like chews. Yeah, but I want different. I, I think like gummy Skittles? bears. Would be, yeah, I was thinking Skittles. Mm-hmm. Like like Claudia has her milk duds spilled. That mm-hmm. that I think does Janine buy it at the end that Janine buys, which is so mm-hmm. sweet. But so I think like Skittles spilled would be fun. Skittles spilled. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you do some like little shadows and stuff. But I think gummy bears would also be a good challenge. What would you call your high chew piece? High chews. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about you, Anne? What would you paint? Um, I was thinking about Sour Patch Kids. Mm, mm. Those would be fun. Spilled? Yeah, I, tried, I don't know what the title would be, but I would like to play off the name of the candy. Mm. Mm. Like Sarah Patch Kids, comma, K question mark. I don't get it. <laughs> Are you <It's>, stoned? <laughs> no. Me or Anne? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. What? what? Just like K? Like, is that a question yeah. to the audience? Yeah. It's a... Um, <laughs> I'm getting like real David Pumpkins vibes from this. <laughs> like, what do you like? How is it? You're like, I want to play off of sour and then sour patch kids. Any questions? <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's like throwing it back to the audience. Like, mm-hmm. it makes you see. I mean, you guys think about it, right? <laughs> we have to record at night more. <laughs> <laughs> made you think <laughs> made you think right <laughs> yeah okay anyway 
<laughs> Listeners, if anybody knows what Anne's talking about, you can write to us at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. <laughs> anyway, so, okay. I'll get to her junk food list later, but the subjects of her art show were a lollipop, Mm-hmm. Doritos, Mounds, Milk Duds, and Twinkies. Those were the five things mm-hmm. she she painted. Nice. Okay, ready to go on? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> also, she's, she's like getting more aggressive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It could be okay. like, it, it could be a gentle question. Like, okay. Or like, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave that 30 seconds of crying silent laughter in the episode. Okay. 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 On on to uh the real topic here, which is Fritos. <laughs> the, the real star of Claudia and the genius films. But also, why did you not say which is Fritos? Okay. I know. I almost did. I almost did. <laughs> oh, no. okay. okay. So, Fritos, how do you guys feel about Fritos? I love Fritos. Oh, you so say you guys like Fritos. Do you buy them? Mm-hmm. I feel like people like them, but they don't really buy them very often. Um, Matt's parents always get the big giant box of individual like mm-hmm. chips because the grandkids are always coming over and it's a good pool snack and no one ever eats the Fritos. So I always eat like all yes. the remaining 10 bags of Fritos when I'm there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a similar relationship to being the one that that hoovers up the leftover Fritos from the chip multi-packs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I forget to buy them, uh, but I'm always excited when they're around. And then mm-hmm. I like when like a hipster taco place, like that place by your house, and makes a Frito pie in a bag situation. Um, mm-hmm. That's like a little Tex-Mex treat that I'm real into. Mm-hmm. Great. I also like Fritos. Okay. Okay. Consensus. <laughs> I know. It's very rare that, that all three of us like. Well, actually, that's not true because Anne likes most things. Anne likes most things. And so when you I like, like it, things, Emily, then we're going to usually agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I looked into Fritos a little bit, and they were founded, invented by Charles Charles Elmer Doolin. Mm, um, that doesn't sound so, like a Latino name. No, it is not. He's a white guy. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Shocker. So <clears throat> during the Depression, Char- well, C.E. Doolin, he was a confectioner who was making candy. People making candy during the Depression was like a really big thing. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So many candy makers. It's crazy. A lot of candy makers. So his confectioner and he was, you know, trying to, he was trying to make money. Um, They're, of course, kind of poor. And he was like, oh, like, you know, our candy isn't selling that great. He's like, I really need like another snack food. And he Mm. wanted something that was like more savory. And keep in mind at this time, there weren't like bags of chips and stuff like we know now. There really wasn't much in in terms of like prepackaged snacks. No, there's like a few crackers in the crackle barrel. Yeah. This is before smart food, white cheddar popcorn. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. This, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so in 1932 in Alamo City, Texas, which is where Elmer and his family lived, he went to a gas station and there he met a Mexican man from mm. Oaxaca who was making um, the snack. He was extruding masa from a potato grinder and dropping mm. it into um, oil to fry. And Genius. Charles was like, oh, what's this? And he was like, this is really good. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I call them Fritos, which it just means basically like little fried things. Mm-hmm. And they were a common snack in Mexico, basically. And this guy was making them here. Mexico has the best snacks. Oh, they yeah. really do. They're just like everywhere on the street. They're so good. Yeah. When I go to Mexico, all I eat are tacos and snacks. I know. They are they are the king of snack foods, I feel. Mm-hmm. So he was like, this is great. I want this. So he bought everything from this Mexican man who I could not find the name of. Of um, course. I'll try harder uh, later. But uh, he bought like 
the machine. He bought everything for $100, which at the time was a lot of money. What year is this again? 1932. Okay. Yeah. Still not enough money. Yeah. So basically, he started making the Fritos in his kitchen with his family. Um, And just was kind of like, you know making different recipes and like figuring out a better way to make the chips more uniform and everything. And he was selling them at store and people loved them. And obviously they went on to be a huge success and he became very, a very successful businessman. Um, he also was the creator of Cheetos mm. uh, by kind of using the same kind of idea of like dropping things into oil and then you cover them. That's why they're like bumpy. It's mm-hmm. like little extruded dough yeah. bits. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Charles Doolin's mom invented the Frito pie. Mm, okay. And later in life, uh, Charles Doolin partnered with Herman Lay to create Frito Lay. And that was like, I think in the, in the fifties, they combined forces. So once wow. again, the white guy steals a good idea from a not white guy and gets rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sensing a theme. I know. It's like everything. Well, and I'm suspicious barrels. of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. barrels. I'm suspicious of Charles Doolin's mom, too. Like, she probably just met some Mexican lady and who was putting the Fritos in a pie and was like, mm-hmm. hey, thanks. Yeah. No, totally. So that was the, the beginning of Fritos and the Frito-Lay company. But I believe Herman Lay... I, I kind of looked into potato chips and it, it's, it's a more confusing history, um, which I would have to do a much deeper dive into, but some places attribute it to a black chef in the late 1800s who created the potato oh, wow. chip. But then some are like, Oh, Herman Lay made them in his kitchen mm. and you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so yeah. So probably that black dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to alienate yeah. all the, all of our listeners who are part of the Frito-Lay Air fortune, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, uh, we have a big, giant list of junk food then from this book. Oh, yeah. You keep a uh, very careful I, catalog because this did. is definitely well, the most we've had in a long time. I said the five things that were in our show, but the ones that were in our show are Snickers, M&M's, Milky Way, Ring Dings, Oreos, Chunky, Fritos, Kit Kats, Three Musketeers, and Yankee Doodle. Damn, that's a fuck ton of snacks. Yeah. It was. But it's interesting, like, Chunky? Who is a Chunky Why are you suspicious about the Chunky? (laughs) Do you know what a Chunky bar is, Emily? Of course not, no. Okay. Well, guess guess what it is, and we'll see if you're right. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Come on. It's called chunky, so you know that gives you a pretty good hint. I feel chocolate something, chocolate with chunks of things. Yeah, good job, Em. <laughs> Doesn't it have? I know it has nuts, but does it also have like raisins? Ew. I thought it had. Which one is the weird candy that had like cherries in it? Yeah, no, it has peanuts and raisins. I'm right. That's disgusting. <laughs> Oh, speaking of candy, Emily, we sent you yes, a package. You did. I was hoping you were going to forget. <laughs> no, I wrote it in the outline. Oh, good. <laughs> what you got there? Okay, wait, first we have to pretend, we have to like make up a little song to intro this right now. Oh, okay. Well, for what? When, for, like, <laughs> it's go ahead, time for Emily to try a new food on the show. Uh, Emily tries a snack. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I have a, a box of Malamars, a very modest single box. Thank you. You're welcome. I just sent one. I almost sent five, but I just oh my sent God. one. Why would you send five? Because that's what the terrible mail order companies do to you. Okay, if Emily doesn't like box. Malamars. What's going to happen? Are you going to quit the show? Because she's probably not going to like them. I don't like marshmallows. <laughs> and, and never speaking to me again. I know. I liked some of those Canadian candies we tried. Yeah, that's true. I liked the like crunchy ones. The way you want to see Emily try a lot of candy, go join our Patreon. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Mm. She's smelling it. It looks like a good dark chocolate. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ew. I was like a marshmallow. Yeah. <laughs> and so mad. Okay. Okay. Also, I would like Emily to go into these snack tasting things with like a more positive attitude. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> She's like set to be a ruiner before it even gets to her mouth. What? I mean, come on. The, the cookie's good. The chocolate's not bad. Yeah. I don't like the marshmallow part. Okay. How is the cookie? The cookie's good. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like a gra- like a nice graham cookie. Mm-hmm. All right. You know trefoils are my favorite Girl Scout cookie. Yeah, because you're a genius. They're my favorite too. Like, what notes do you give it? Or like, where does it fall on the scale of root beer barrels? <laughs> and what else have I sent you? <laughs> the sun-kissed gummies. Oh, yeah. Those I liked. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to gems. be, yeah, I wanted them to be fruitier. They're like not fruity enough. They're like too sugary. Okay. So this is between um, Sunkissed Fruit Gems and Root Beer Barrels? Well, you also made me try a disgusting Twinkie. That's definitely oh, that's the worst. Oh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Twinkie is worse than Root Beer bar- Barrels? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, right, Anne? Yeah. <laughs> and quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> She's just making lots of faces. She's forgetting this is an audio medium. What, is, what does that face mean, Annie? But why is the marshmallow so weird? Because it's a real marshmallow. Why is the marshmallow, marshmallow so weird? <laughs> <laughs> Are you an alien? Oh, you know what? You really are like Dawn when she found yeah. that. She's like, like, what is this ice cream cone? It's kind of hard and pointy. I've never, I've seen, never anything seen anything like this like before. This. That's what a marshmallow is like, Emily. All right. I like them when they're roasted. Okay. So this is the second best thing I've sent you, though, it sounds like. Yeah. All right. She's I'm still like, eating it, listeners. She's well, saying, ew. Eating around the marshmallow. <laughs> All right. Tallies. We get a bossy, a sophisticated, a health food, a sensitive, two shies, and a good old-fashioned babyish. No Mm. descriptions of Mallory or Jesse at all. Oh, did you notice that, uh, was it Janine's eyes were also almond-shaped? Ooh, no. I missed almond-shaped. Oh, it was here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was there twice, or she just mentioned. No, she just said both. She both said, happen. "Yeah, yeah." Well, sorry, I missed an almond. Everybody, wow. now you'd be questioning all of my tallies. <sighs> all right, are my eyes like okay? Seriously, are they? <laughs> are they almond shaped? Everyone's eyes are kind of almond shaped, but right. I mean, I guess so. Yours are more like a Brazil nut. Oh my god. Okay, weirdest line. I have a few. Go for it. Okay. My favorite one is residuals. (laughs) And then in second place, I have uh, Boing. And in third place, I have Positively Prehistoric. Ooh. Mm, That's that's good. good. I also really liked Milk Duds Spilled. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. It should have been Milk Duds, (laughs) comma, K, question mark. All right, Emily, what else did you have? I forget. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I also had, I felt as useful as an oar on a speedboat. Oh my <laughs> God. It's like, why is Claudia talking in this bizarrely folksy manner? Um, and then I did like uh, Mrs. Wilder saying schedule and mm. the way Claudia spelled it out. What was your second one, Anne? Boing. But it's, Who says boing in what context? Uh, Claudia says boing. I don't remember why, but it's all caps and it has two eyes, not just one. <laughs> Exclamation point. That's Maybe it's good. boing. Yeah, probably. All right, Emily, what do you want to go with? Oh, I also really liked that Claudia, it's not a line of dialogue, but she describes during the show when Alan Gray puts gum everywhere, that she puts the BSC on quote Alan Gray alert. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's very good. good. That's very good. I don't know. There's a lot of good ones. I don't have a big preference for anything. We need residuals with an exclamation point. It's uh no, it's not. No, it's a question mark, right? No, it's it's when um Rosie's explaining to a babysitter why it, it the commercial could pay for her college education. Mm-hmm. She was like residuals, but the, the zid is like italicized in the in the word. Oh, oh very oh. good. Let's okay. go with that. Then. Yeah. I like residuals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's like residuals. 
right. All right. What do you guys want a pizza toast to? The Mexican man who got robbed of his idea. Oh, God. Or just K. Just <laughs> no. Um, I really liked Janine in this book. Patch kids. <laughs> I liked Janine in this book. Um, and I liked her relationship with Rosie and her continuing like blossoming relationship with Claudia. I also look. We haven't seen Alan Gray in like twenty five books. That's mm-hmm. true. I was glad to see the guy back. I'm just kind mm-hmm. of like we we could pizza toast to the Alan Gray alert. Okay. Great. Also, wait. I will draw you Sarah Patch Kids. K. So just this a sketch. Is, so you, you can see. Listeners, don't believe it. Don't get excited. This is going to be me texting Anne six times asking. Her no, I mean like I'll just, Patch just Kids, please. <laughs> I don't want to do it then. I would love to see Sour Patch Kids K. I just extrinsic motivation ruined the prospect of. <laughs> It did. It did. No, I was more meaning I would just like sketch something really fast on my iPad, like not to present, oh, okay. but just as like a, a concept. I would like to see the concept very much. Okay. 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 So what okay. are we testing to? Alan Gray alert. All right. A okay. pizza toast to the Alan Gray alert. To the, the Alan, Gray Alan Gray alert. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Salar Khan. You can find her work and hire her at propodcastediting.net. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. You can also join us on Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. <laughs>